The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Hi, welcome. This is Kelly McMillan. I'm your host for the next hour. We're going to be talking about firearms and everything related to it. Got some great guests coming up. I'm here with my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nadler, uh, owner of Concierge, uh, Firearms Concierge and BestDronage.com. Uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about with Zev is that uh, among the many things that he does, he holds five uh, NRA-sanctioned uh Discipline. So, why don't you talk about that a little bit about how you uh, help the people in the Phoenix area learning how to uh, use a firearm? Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Well, um, you know, the certifications I hold are pistol, rifle, shotgun, um, personal protection in the home, and home safety as well. Um, also, I'm an RSO. So, what we try to do is get folks who have, most of them actually are tourists that have never ever touched. Or, or sometimes seen a real firearms before in their life. And they're very squeamish about it, both in the physical aspect, but also what it means in defining them. And we usually just tell those folks who are a little bit nervous that no matter what side of the debate you're on, learn uh, the skills and sensations necessary, and then make your own decision. And that's worked really well. I mean, 90% of the people we take out call me back in another month or two and say, hey, guess what? I bought a gun. <laughs> so it works out really well, and we, we enjoy teaching and uh yeah we do it all year round so well i know that you spent uh, most of last week droning uh, tell us about that <laughs> and you know i can drone on and on well um we went to the uh um, extreme long range competition in raton new mexico last week uh it was tuesday wednesday and thursday great qualifiers on tuesday and wednesday with a phenomenal finale on thursday i'm not gonna you know ruin anybody's thunder and talk about it but let's just say it was really really a great way to end the match um met some great people there and there was a television show that was doing uh, some filming for an upcoming uh, show that, that's going to talk about extreme long range, the folks that are involved. Obviously, uh, McMillan Stocks, I believe we were in six of the top ten finalist positions uh, held a McMillan Stock underneath their action. So uh, my job was to drone. So they had all the cameras on the ground, and I had to get right in front of the shooters, which, again, was really the reason I got into this. And, uh, Kelly, I'll thank you again because you're the one who, who brought me out to my first firearms uh, shoot using a drone and it really offered a perspective we could never offer before which was getting right in front of the shooter seeing the gases seeing the ejection of the cartridges uh, just a great way to to represent what's going on 
Yeah, it sounds really fun, and, and I really had a great time there. We're going to talk about that a little more later in the show. Uh, I want to send a, a shout-out to Larry Dotson. He's a, a listener from Kentucky that uh, sent me a, an email that said, uh, listen to your show every week, and I love it. And, you know, it's really nice to get positive feedback from people who enjoy the show. Thanks, Larry. Uh, glad to have you with us, and uh, glad you listen every week. Uh, I want to get right into our first guest. Um, he's been in the firearms industry for almost all my life (laughs) a long time Uh, great guy with a great company Um, most people know Sierra Bullets they they know that Sierra has been at the forefront of not only hunting bullets but competition bullets and uh, Carol Pilant works for Sierra Bullets Um, he's been in the industry for a long time I I won't say much more about him because we're going to cover some of the stuff that he's done uh, in his career Uh, Carol thanks for being on the show you're sure welcome Kelly well, I, I noticed that you've got a new title from what you know. I originally uh, come to know you about, but you you've had a lot of input back into the the design of bullets, and and you've seen some of the changes over the years. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, how, where you grew up, how you got involved in in the firearms industry, and how you came to to work for Sierra. Well, I grew up down in uh, uh, Southwest Missouri, down in a little town called Cassville which actually I'm down there today for my 50th class reunion. Uh, and I wound up settling eventually in Sedalia, Missouri there, and, and Sierra was needing a uh, ballistic technician, and one of the guys up there said, well, I know a guy that'd be just perfect. said he's shot and reloaded about all of his life, and they asked me to come in and interview, and I went and interviewed, and next thing I knew, I was working there. And that was going on 26 years ago. Awesome. Um uh, what did you do when you first started working with Sierra? I was one of their ballistic technicians, and uh, I worked as a ballistic technician answering reloading questions, and then I also helped down in the range. And uh, Of course, we've done a couple of reloading manuals back then that I was in on, and uh, just literally a little bit of everything there. Hey, Carol, this is uh, Do you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. You know, I used your bullets back in 2008 when I took my first long-range class, and uh, your 77-grain boat tails uh, brought me out to 1,020 yards in 5.56 coming out of an 18-inch barrel AR-15, so I was pretty impressed with that. also, I, I know in talking to you and trying to get you on the show for the past couple months, you're one of the busiest guys I know, and I think uh, you recently had a competition uh, where I was surprised to hear that you shoot a 1,000 yards with a handgun. Is that correct? Right. Up in Sundance, Wyoming, uh, Richard Merch puts it on. Uh, it's the MOA. They used to call it the cold turkey match. And uh, literally, to see where you shot, what relay you shot in was whoever hit the target first at 1,000. Uh, was the one that was on the line first whenever the competition started. Well, Carol, I, that brings me to a point. Um, I, I've talked with uh, Mark Hampton a couple of times in the last couple of days. I've dug out the old uh, three-inch wide, four-end rear grip pistol. I'm going to make a half a dozen stocks in that mold. So, yeah, we're, we're going to take care of you. <laughs> Can you shave the four-end on one of them down to two and a half inches wide? Uh, let me see what I can do. We, we'll have to do a little finagling, but but you want it two and a half? Yeah, we've got uh, different classes that we shoot out there. They've got a uh, heavy gun, which everybody uses three-inch wide, but then they've got a sandbag class, 
which you can just use three sandbags, and you can't have more than a two-and-a-half-inch wide forend on it. Uh, that should be fairly easy for us to do, and uh, as soon as we get off the show here, I'll go out and talk to my guy in the, in the shop to make sure he understands what we need to do. But, yeah, we'll take care of you. But, yeah, that's an interesting match. You shoot 500, 750, and 1,000 yards, so, and all with a handgun, so it's... It's quite challenging. And you get to choose a handgun, obviously. What are some of the uh, types that people bring out there? You'll see a lot of MOAs. And, of course, uh, Richard Mertz that puts the match on, he was the one that had the uh, MOA pistol. He sold it to Gary Wrigley now in St. Louis. But uh, <clears throat> you also see a lot of MOAs. And there's a few encores, but I say MOAs, uh, XPs. But there's a few encores out there also. Uh, mostly bolt action stuff, right? Bolt action and the single shot brake type stuff in the real uh -huh. stout actions. And cartridge wise, you'll see cartridges that runs anywhere from, uh, oh, I've seen 22 BRs on up to seven short mags, you know. Well, I've got a case sitting here. It's actually a dummy, but it was given to a friend of mine by J.D. Jones. It's a, a 950 JDJ, and I know... I've got one of them, too. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever shot it? <laughs> and uh, J.D. Uh, told me the story on the guy that had that, and whenever he built that first gun for this guy, he built him a real lightweight gun, and the first time he fired it, it just cold-cocked him. Yeah, I would not want to be the one to pull the trigger with that in the in the cylinder. So, what other competitions does uh, Sierra support? And, and uh... we we support about everything. But uh, myself, I travel to. Well, next week I'll be at Sportsman's Team Challenge in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska. And uh, well, next week I'll be in Oklahoma City to HMSA Internationals. A week after that, I'll be in Grand Island for Sportsman's Team Challenge. I shoot three gun, NRA action pistol, uh, you know, Ipsic, uh, this thousand yard handgun match, and I'd be shooting some of the F class and some of that stuff, but I can't go prone. Uh, uh -huh. I've screwed my neck and back up several years. Matter of fact, I'm going to have a knee replacement here in another couple of weeks, so kind of limits oh. me to what I can shoot anymore. Oh, Kelly can definitely give you some advice on that. He is the bionic man when it comes to knees. Um, do you do any PRS work, or do you uh, do you feature prominently in the PRS world? Yeah, uh, we're we've got one of our guys there at Sierra that's uh, shooting a lot of the PRS matches, and uh, we're starting the PRS is going to be uh, televised now, like the uh, uh, Three Gun Nation. They're going to start televising some of the PRS matches, so uh, you'll see a lot of PRS matches on TV now, and uh, we're big in sponsoring a bunch of that, too. That's great. Uh, I really appreciate that, Carol. I know that it's up to us in the industry to make sure that people enjoy the shooting sports so that uh, you know they'll get their kids into it and, and that they survive uh, in this uh, climate. It, we need to do everything we can to make sure that we have people want to shoot. Uh, I, I have a long history with Sportsman Team Challenge, and I remember when Team Sierra included uh, Dave Tubb, Mike Plaxico, and, and uh, Doug Hanig, and they were hard to beat. I mean, I think, they, yeah, they won the national championship a number of years. Uh, great fun to watch. Uh, uh, Doug Hanig shot one of the most phenomenal um, exhibits of, of I've ever seen on the uh, portion of the, the FTT, and, and I know uh, at that same event, like 
see Doug actually puts on the STC uh, nowadays. He took it over. It about died out, and uh, Doug took it over last year was first year, and uh, he's really done a phenomenal job of getting it back up and running. Uh, last year, everybody didn't really have enough notice to have good turnout, uh, but this year the turnout is going to be quite a bit better. Uh, I talked to Lisa Cinquento just a few minutes ago when uh, things is looking really good for this year. Well, I'm glad to hear that because it's such a fun event, and it's even a fairly decent spectator event as shooting sports go. Yeah, and it's something that uh, there's actually quite a few kids shooting. We have several junior teams that uh, shoots it now, too. Yeah, I know McMillan um, sponsored three or four national juniors champions uh, over the years that we had. We're sending yeah, all kids of out the Nelsons, Arizona. they all shot, right. and then... Uh, my son shot, and uh, matter of fact, the the Nelson boys and and my son and his team was always battling it out for uh, the the junior high junior team. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to talk about some bullets because uh, there's been a lot of talk on uh, social media lately of bullets because of the King of Two Mile. I know that when you started, uh, all bullets were uh, copper jacketed lead core bullets, and and I I know. Sierra still focuses on on those bullets, but are they uh, planning for the future and are trying to develop any of the solid core bullets anymore? We have played with that uh, oh for years and years. Uh, we just hadn't come up to anything that that really met our standards that we wanted yet. Uh, you know, one of these days we may come out with something, but right now it's not not in the plan. So. Um, so the Match Kings are your basic competition uh, bullets, and I can't imagine that there's many competitions over the years that Sierra hasn't won. Yeah, we've had uh, you know, a large, large string of, of wins in the, about any of the, the rifle competitions that there's been, you know, short of the short-range bench rift and Years ago, our little 53 grain bullet, 52 and 53, was one of the premier bullets for it, though, then, too. Yep. Uh, I noticed on your list of bullets, you're, you're offering 350 grain uh, 375s and 300 grain 338s. It seems like the trend is going heavy for caliber now. Uh, any any plans to, to look at any heavier calibers than that for these the long-range game? Yeah, right now we're, of course, this year we introduced three. You know, we had a 6mm 110, <clears throat> we had a 7mm 197 grain, and then we had a 30 caliber 195 grain and a tip match king. But, uh, you know, we're gradually adding some more bullets into the longer range type stuff. And there's so much ELR stuff coming in, up nowadays that everybody's really getting into. Uh, you know, the PRS has got into a lot of the long-range stuff, uh, you know, 1,250, 1,300-yard targets, and now this two-mile shoot, uh, you know, that could be interesting. Uh, so there's a need for longer-range bullets now than what there was, you know, a few years ago. Well, I'm not sure that there's ever going to be enough people that are sh- trying to shoot two miles that it would warrant coming out with a completely new line if it were something that, that took big dollars to develop. But if, if you've got uh, you know, a basic concept and a, and a design that you think you can scale up, it, it might be something that would be profitable. Right. Of course, it is a, 
you know, it takes several bullets to uh, uh, warrant making that particular bullet. People don't understand that, uh, you know, you're probably looking at 200,000 bullets before you even break even on a, a normal bullet, you know. Well, yeah, I don't have to sell that many stocks, but I developed a stock called the ELRB specifically for these guns with 38-inch barrels and, you know, 35 to 38 pounds of metal hanging on them. Uh, so it had to be designed specifically for that. Uh, right. I don't know that I'll ever sell enough to cover the cost of it, but it's important if these guys are really going to give it an opportunity to be successful, they have to have the tools to do it. So, you know, as a, a, a company and someone who supports these events, it's important that we try to continue to give them what they need. And uh, making a buck on everything that we do isn't always the best attitude. And that's, you know, that new sport of all the long-range stuff, though, seems like it's really attracting a lot of attention. Well, it is. Especially in the PRS series, you know. So I think you're going to see a lot of companies doing a lot of stuff geared toward the long-range stuff. Yeah, for us, we we do a lot of what we call branding. We don't call it advertising simply because we don't expect to get a specific amount of return for the money invested. But the the branding part of it with all of the different uh, shooting sports is something that we feel is a a good investment uh, in our longevity in the industry and and how we have stayed at the top of our game for the last 40 years. So. Well, everybody knows what my McMillan stocks are, so <laughs> you've made, well, definitely made a good that. name for yourself over the years. Thanks. Hey, Carol, we got about a minute left. Anything you want to tell uh, our listeners about Sierra that we haven't covered? Uh, anything new out there? Um, we do have a toll-free tech line, so if anybody has any questions on reloading, whether it's our bullets or anybody else's bullets, uh, we've got people there from 8 o'clock of the morning to 8 o'clock of an evening. And it's a toll-free number. It's 800-223-8799. Uh, once oh, again, thanks. that's 800-223-8799. And they can call in, and, and we'll help them out with their reloading questions. And I'll make sure I get that number out to our listeners again before the end of the show. Hey, Carol, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really great having you on here. Thanks for all the good work that you and Sierra do for the firearms industry and, and the shooting sports. Well, thank you, Kelly, and we'll see you someplace down the road. I appreciate that. Okay, I want to ask all of our listeners to stay tuned while we take a short little commercial break, and we'll be right back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148. 
or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Hey, uh, thanks for staying with us and and welcome back. Uh, I want to take just a second to give a shout out to our good buddy, uh, Lynn Backus at Long Range Hunting. He's been supporting the radio show and the firearms and shooting sports uh, for a long time. I'd just uh, like to give a shout out to him at longrangehunting.com. Okay. Um, now I'm really excited. You know, we spent the last week in Raton, New Mexico. Uh, actually, um, was there for uh, what turned out to be an historic event, and we're just really lucky to have the two guests on that we have. Derek Rogers, the, the guy who is the reigning king of Two Mile, uh, won the match, and his win coach, Paul Phillips, uh, they were gracious enough to uh, agree to be on the show, and we wanted to get him while it was still fresh and hot. So welcome, guys. Really glad that uh, you agreed to do the show, and I can't wait to uh, share this experience with our listeners. Thanks, Kelly, and uh, appreciate you having us on. Always a pleasure, Kelly. Well, thanks for coming back on the show. You're one of our few repeat uh, guests, uh, Paul, and uh, you've always got a lot to talk about, so I'm really excited about this. But specifically, we want to talk about everything that is related to ELR and the match and, and what happened. So, Derek, first off, I'd really like for you to just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners, uh, talk about you know where you grew up, how you got into shooting, and, and how you became such a, a great marksman that you are today okay Kelly um, well I grew up here in Albuquerque New Mexico so obviously out here in the west we have a lot of shooting opportunities outdoor type things where uh, you, you have a plenty of opportunities to hunt and and fish and shoot long range and my dad and I uh, shoot quite a bit I grew up shooting and I was on a ridge one afternoon with him and we saw some deer that were that were too far away to shoot so at that point in time I decided to get into long range shooting and build a rifle that would reach out and, and touch uh, you know a, an animal hunting that was normally out of normal distance um, so kind of in a, in a fast forward pace here I was able to uh, start shooting 50 calibers uh, and I wasn't it was very tough for me to shoot that because that is a difficult cartridge to shoot. I wasn't a match or a competition shooter, and I was lucky enough and fortunate to start shooting local matches in F-Class, which at the time I didn't even really know what F-Class was all about. Did that, and then um, I actually met Paul in, I think, 2007, 
and we we shot together on a on a team called Team Sinclair, which is a very strong and well known team in the FTR community. And um, since then, it's been national records and wins, and and uh, it sort of has evolved from there. Well, I'm I'm glad you talked about how you met Paul. Paul, um, you you. Not only are you a fantastic shooter and you competed in the the King of the Two Mile, but you really have a a place that not a lot of people understand what it is, and and that's being a win coach and being a coach. And and, and a lot of people who shoot competition, especially when you're shooting handgun or you're shooting ARs and stuff like that, you don't have coaches. You just go out there, pull the trigger, and hope the bullet goes where you want. But in the type of shooting that you do, it's very critical that you, as you're lying on the gun, you've got somebody who's watching the wind flags and who's watching the mirage and who's keeping an eye on everything that's going on down there because it really makes a big difference when when you end up shooting with some help. So talk about what it is about coaching that really gets you invested. Sure, Kelly. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes in the background with ELR, a lot of stuff that if people were to learn what that is, they'd be a lot more successful. It's not just getting a good load and sitting down on the ground and shooting. It's a team effort. It really is. Um, last year at King of Two Mile, we, it was me, Brian, and Mitch, and we, put, we started the beginning of, of a kind of a strategy to, to you know, win that match last year, and then we took it one step further this year, and we actually went out and practiced in, in uh, New Mexico, and we identified some weak areas, and we put it all together, and the way that I can summarize this really quickly is, you know, Brian and Doc were doing all the ballistics, so they were working on all the ballistics with the environmentals and the Kestrel and, and the Garmin uh, watch band and all that stuff to get it really, you know, perfect. If, there is, if we're off by one degree of direction or 10 degrees in temperature or 15 degrees in uh, feet per second, or 15 feet per second, you're going to miss the target. So we, it started with the ballistics first. And then with Emil with the wind, he was concentrating on the wind. I was concentrating on the, as being a spotter. If you don't see the spot or the trace, the next shot's a burner. You're wasting it because you, if you don't see it, you can't correct. And obviously, Derek, being a world-class shooter, you know, he was the final solution, you know, making sure we had, you know, quick follow-up shots. And, and we know that when he aims at a target, he's going to hit the target. So it really is a combination of those four things. If any one of those things is incorrect, you know, we're, we're failing. We're not hitting the target. So it really is a teamwork effort, and we're still learning as we go. We're in an improvement mindset, our whole team, and we're still learning things to, to be better. Communication. Hey, Paul, it's up here. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to, first of all, uh, we would be remiss without letting all the listeners know a little bit about your background. And I guess uh, I learned this term from Kelly when he had Bud Feeney on, uh, and he said he had a little man crush on him because he was such a successful stalwart in this industry. And, you know, watching you at the games, watching you, what you do for ELR, uh, it's just amazing. So just for our listeners to know, uh, you know, Paul was a, uh, a scout sniper back in the day in the Marine Corps. Um, actually had to read wind and uh, do this kind of work in whatever the weather was. Um, I've watched him uh, as a communications 
person. He taught me uh, what needs to be done behind the line. The commands need to be concise. Uh, the team communications are very important. In addition to the wind, the entire team effort, as Paul mentioned just moments ago, is really, really important. So I, I wanted to just put a shout out to you and thank you for all you do for the sport. Hey, thanks, Sev. Uh, just a correct correction, I was a scout in a scout sniper platoon. Let all those fellow scout snipers know. Um, I was in the platoon, but I was a scout. But, yeah, we, we had a lot of time on the scopes. And, you know, I take all my experience from being on the U.S. rifle team um, and uh, time in the Marine Corps and also in, in, in law enforcement. You know, I take all that stuff and try to add it to what we're doing now in ELR. And, you know, there's been a lot of folks like Brian Litz and Ray Gross Emil Praslik that have helped me, you know, and I've taken bits and pieces of information and, and you know, learning what works and what doesn't. Hey, Derek, um, you mentioned F-Class. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of your um, accomplishments in F-Class. I know uh, you and I met a couple of years ago. You were involved in in talking about what it was that you wanted out of a, a stock in order to make it as good as it could possibly be for FTR, something that I don't think anybody had done. We we certainly had never designed an FTR stock. We had designed F-Class open stocks, but we thought, what the heck, you know, you're shooting off a bipod. What, what can you do to make it any better? So um, talk about what you've accomplished in the sport and, and how that came about. Sure, sure, Kelly. So... I've actually won the F Open Nationals and at an, an F Class Nationals, and then I have followed it up with an FTR National win, which makes me the only person to win both. But when I was down at the Southwest Burger Nationals there in, in Phoenix, uh, I was fortunate enough to break the national record. And at the time, even though we had a, a very good running platform, and I was using your high power prone stock, the toe of that wasn't exactly as precise as we needed for FTR because typically that stock is shot out of a sling and you're not using it to ride in a back. So that's when we stopped by your office and approached you and asked you if you'd be willing to look at that as, a, as another design specific for FTR purposes. And so we, we modified the, the, or we had some suggestions to modify the toe and uh, made a few other corrections on the stock and it seems to be working beautifully. Uh, the, in fact, the, most of the U.S. team is now transitioned over, and shooters that were shooting maybe middle of the road have really increased their scores. So overall, I think having a purpose-built specific stock made for FTR has really upped the FTR game to the point that it's very difficult to uh, shoot good scores every single time. You, you really need to be on your game because your stocks have, have increased the X count and the scores significantly well thanks for that and and i wasn't really looking for a pat on the back but it's it's nice to know that when you work so hard on something and, and you try to do it right that the results are are what you're looking for and i'm really happy that the shooters have been able to to actually take the stock and improve their game uh, one of the coolest things was when ian Klim told me he says you know what he said i didn't realize how easy it was to shoot 
um, until he got the exit because he was fighting that he was shooting a left-handed prone and he was fighting that toe and having to reposition the the rifle after every shot and he said man it was just hard work and I didn't know how easy it could be until I got a rifle that recoiled straight back and and that you know you basically just had to slide it back up on the bag and it's right where you want it to be so uh, thanks for all your input thanks for uh, making it easy for me to sell when somebody's setting uh, national records and, and winning uh, national championships with it uh, other people see it and and want it so thanks for that I appreciate it the reason that I brought all this stuff up is because I wanted people to understand that that ELR uh, extreme long-range shooting is still shooting and the exact same things that apply to short mid and long range competition apply to extreme long range competition and that is you have to have good trigger control you have to have breathing all of that stuff that goes into it and if you're not a really good shooter those tiny mistakes that you make at a thousand yards are huge mistakes at at you know two miles um can you talk about that a little bit just so that people understand that you know, it's still a shooting discipline no matter how far out there it is. Sure, Kelly. Uh, so it is absolutely crucial that as a shooter for the ELR distances, you have all of your technique down, including the reloading techniques on the bench, because you cannot afford to lose one or two shots out of your group. We're, you're shooting in a, in a very limited amount from three to five shots at those long-range distances and to take one or two shots out of your group and, and not apply it in, to actually reaching the target, it's, it's, it's really detrimental to the, the ELR success. You know, Derek, I, I was running the drone in front of you when you were shooting, and I, I think I shared with you my new nickname for you, which is MGD, Machine Gun Derek, because you were just reloading so quickly. I mean, no sooner did you press that trigger that you just reloaded and allowed your spotter and wind coach to tell you whether it hit, where it hit, and what you need to do. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, you're shooting a right bolt, left port, right? Um, no, I'm actually shooting a left bolt, left oh, port. Oh. Okay. Even even though I'm a left-hand shooter, um, I found that made me much more successful in shooting F-class. Those are prone uh, weapons, so those type of rifles just lend themselves for me much easier to load with my left hand than my right hand because I can actually stay in position, be acquiring the target all at the same time while I'm reloading, which will really minimize the shot-to-shot -shot difference in the wind changes. It makes the wind coach's jobs a lot easier, and it gets a, another round down, down range, especially when you're shooting beyond 3,000 yards and your bullet might be in flight for seven-plus seconds. Uh, just to clarify for our listeners, you said you're a left-handed shooter, but you're actually a right-handed shooter, but you're shooting a left-handed action, both left port, left bolt, and that allows you to, to hang onto the gun with your right hand, work the bolt with your left. Um, one of the things that I found shooting prone, and I, I think this is what you were alluding to, is that when I had to reach forward with my right hand to grab the bolt to operate it, my, my uh, deltoids tensed up and tended to want to push the gun away from me. And so it was a matter of recommitting to my position every time I rack the bolt. Uh, you don't have to do that with the left hand. It, it's easier if I don't have to move my right arm just because my rifle is going to stay in battery right on target. And anytime you reach over and you're moving your shoulder and your deltoids 
uh, everything is, is shifting around. So it's hard to get back into the, the saddle of the gun when you're having to move your right hand or arm. Hey, this next question is for Paul. Paul, uh, when you were spotting for Derek uh, and, and watching the traces, which, by the way, one day I hope I could see traces as far out as you do when I grow up, but I noticed that you went from a standing position, you went down on a gun on the deck looking through your scope. Can you tell us why you did that? Oh, good question, Zev. You know, when you're in a match and a team, you're always looking for little things to help you out. Um, when I was shooting my iteration in the finals, um, we had a really hard time. My coaches, uh, Brian and Emil, had a hard time seeing trace and impacts, as well as the other teams as well. So when I was shooting, I noticed in my rifle scope, after about five or six shots, um, I was just loading and being ready, but I noticed, I told them, I said, you know, we can't see the trace or impact. I'm going to just stay in my scope. And when I did that, bam, there it was. For whatever reason, my rifle scope, I could see impacts um, clearly every single shot. So when I got done shooting, um, I went ahead and told or asked Eduardo, the match director, I said, hey, can I utilize my rifle scope as, as a spotting tool? And he says, absolutely. This is real world. I said, no problem. So when I went over there, I lined up with my rifle scope, and it was a night for, the same scope, a Night Force ATAC R 7-35 UR scope. And I put it on 35 magnification, which brought in the impact areas much closer to me, and I adjust my parallax so it was clear. And when he was shooting those shots, I could see every impact. And then uh, later on, you'll be able to see in the TV show that I just gave him absolute corrections. So I would say, one minute down, send it. So that timeline of seeing those impacts was very crucial for me giving the command to Derek and those follow-up shots. The quicker you do this, the less chance of the wind changing. And at those distances, a half-mile-hour wind change, you're missing the target. So it's very crucial to have all this information to where you can give it to the shooter to, to, to make the hits. Yeah, I remember one shot where you stood up to, to go consult with Emil and and Derek sent one and he said, well, I was it. He says, I saw it. And Derek, uh, talk about what your final say is when when taking a shot. Well, in that particular shot, Kelly, that was the, the, the two-mile target that you're referring to. And we've discussed this, we practiced as a team, and I'm waiting for Paul's command. So even if I see the impact, I actually have, I can make the decision, I have the ability to make a correction off of the impact because I know exactly where it hit. And I saw that one round impact the dirt uh, or rock actually off to the right of the target. So I was able to correct for it. What I didn't realize is Paul was jumping up off the scope or I probably wouldn't have done that looking back. But as it turned out, I, I said I saw it. Emil was watching. I shot. He saw the correction. We, we came in, and we were able to get it back on, you know, over to the steel, which was absolutely crucial. But, you know, with that long of a flight time, Paul was literally able to get back on his rifle scope and still see the impact. So uh, it really worked out. Yeah, we're talking about uh, about nine seconds flight time from the time you pull the trigger until it either impacted the steel or the dirt around it. I yeah, think it's closer I, to seven, Kelly, six or seven. Uh, 
on the two mile? I know that yeah. at some of the earlier ones, but yeah, okay, seven seconds, still long time. I forgot. I, you know, I lost count. It was so long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kelly, the the difference though is it's not just the flight time of seven seconds. It's every second after that you have to make a crucial decision on on what the correction is going to be and how long it's going to take to get the next round down range. So if you minimize that time, and with Paul right next to me, and he says, hey, you know, make a half-minute correction or come down one minute, and I can do that real time and, and shave those seconds off, it minimizes the wind changes, and you shoot again, and then you're, the countdown starts all over, seven more seconds. So getting a round down in seconds after the, the prior shot was fired is absolutely uh, crucial to success hitting hitting steel that far away if i remember correctly i think you you hit 13 of 15 shots uh on the first round in in qualifications i think they give you nine was it nine minutes to do that correct and uh, i think you were done in about four because you were really sending them downrange. I know you want to catch the conditions in the same so that when you're, you make an adjustment, uh, you're actually making an adjustment with the conditions being as close to identical as the last shot. That makes it much easier. But um, you took a little bit more time. You shot a couple of shots pretty fast in the finals. And uh, I was surprised. I expected with one shot left to go and no hits on the two-mile target, you might have taken a little bit more time. You know, I, I think you still, you had 11 minutes on the final 15 shots, and I still think you, you cleaned that with plenty of time left. You did not take any extra time on that last shot. Um, w were you pretty confident? I know every time you pull the trigger, you're hoping that it hits the target, but on that shot, were you pretty confident? I was pretty confident. Uh, in fact, I think it was before my first shot at the two-mile plate, I told Paul, we're going to do it. And... I went ahead and I shot, but on my last shot, I fired it. I didn't even look at my scope, and I just I kind of turned over to Paul and kind of grinned. I said, that's it, you know, and it, it, it did hit the steel. So I was confident. We were very close, and we, we actually, in practice, made shots further than that on a smaller target in fewer rounds. So I knew it was possible. The gun's capable. The bullets, everything was worked out, and between... Paul and Emil making those calls, I had all the confidence that we were doing the right thing. And in addition to that, it was actually kind of hard for us in practice to complete the, the, the kind of a simulated course in the time limit. So us running through it and actually cutting the time that, that was, we had in half was kind of amazing that we were able to do it in such a short period of time. So when I got to the finals, the uh, I, I knew we had plenty of time. We can get five rounds down in a in a hurry on the last target, but we had several minutes left. Let's take our time, make sure our numbers are right, and uh, when we decide to go, let's go. So Paul Paul can probably talk a little bit more about what he saw there. Anything to add to that, Paul? Um, yeah. So you know, we're just we're we're an improvement mindset, right? So we went to the practice. Um, Brian is the captain of the AB team. You know, the whole rationale was is to you know get a system down in which we all work together and everybody has a role to play. And all those roles are so crucial um, from the first day of practice until Derek doing this competition. 
we've, we've been getting faster and faster and faster, and our roles have changed just a little bit. Um, so it's, it's teamwork. You know, we've worked as a team, um, not only just the shooting aspect, but the applied ballistics part of it, too. It's so crucial. We have to be within a minute of angle on our first shot to be able to even see a spot. If we're not even close, then we're just guessing. So the applied ballistics um, part of it is huge. I mean, that's the reason why we're um, you know, progressing and hitting these targets so far away, uh, as far as also the wind, the spotting, and the shooter. So, yeah, all that stuff is, is huge. And, you know, one thing I say about Derek is, you know, his ability, as Zev mentioned, to be on target and, and be loaded and be ready for me to shoot so fast, those valuable seconds at the end of the day is, is huge. I mean, that's whether you hit, it, hit the plate or not, you know, that time is so crucial with the wind. And I think on the first day when he was qualifying, didn't he get 346 extra points for time? I think he was the highest in bonus points for that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we do get a little extra for bonus points. It's not it's not much, but I didn't even realize we get extra uh, bonus points for the, the extra time that's left over. But um, my, my focus was if we're on target, we're going to stay there and we're tenacious about doing it. So that's, that's what we did. There's an old saying in biathlon which says you can't miss fast enough to win. So definitely the bonus time that you get for having a few minutes left over, it wasn't enough to, to rush a shot to try to make it happen. I want to talk about a, a team applied ballistics. And, and I, I'm going to go back a year and talk about the first time Team AB showed up at the King of the Two Mile. I don't want to say that it was an afterthought, but it was something that Paul and Brian and Mitch decided to do kind of on uh, a whim. They, they put together a couple of guns. It was a three seventy five and a three thirty eight. Brian showed up with a three thirty eight, thinking that, yeah, I think we can compete with that. And, and, I think he learned a valuable lesson from that. But um, what happened was, is that from a three-man team in 2016 to a six-man team in 2017 with the intent to win, and believe me, guys, I want to be involved with a team that wants to win. And that's why I was so excited to be considered a part of the team and be treated like a, a teammate, even though I wasn't shooting. I was just a sponsor, but everybody, it really made me feel welcome, and, and that was really fun for me. But what happened was is it's like the the Golden State Warriors picking up uh, Kevin Durant in the off season. Uh, people are already whining and moaning that they've made the the national the NBA championship game the last two years in a row. Now they're adding one of the best guys in the game, and that's kind of what happened. You you picked up Derek this year. You added a couple of other shooters, but but what I the point I want to make is that. Only three of the six guys made the finals, and and everybody knows Brian Litz's value as a ballistician. Not everybody knows what a terrific shooter he is, and he just didn't have a good day, and he didn't make the finals. John Droll, who's on the USA shooting team, he didn't make the finals, and Doc Beach, he, he didn't make. So it wasn't like they had a a. a 
a gimmick or a trick that nobody else had that just automatically made them win. You guys had the one thing that nobody else did is you guys competed as a team. You worked hard as a team. You practiced. You put the time, money, and effort into getting out to Raton early to shoot, which they say, oh, well, that was an advantage. Well, you didn't even shoot on the same range. It wasn't even the same zip code, really. But it was a practice that you guys dedicated yourself to. And most everybody else did not do that. Kelly, uh, I'll share some information for teams. might help them out. You know, one of the reasons we did so well in the King of Two Mile was we, we learned our mistakes with um, myself, Mitch, and Brian, and John. The things we were deficient in and those when they were shooting they were more than capable of hitting the two mile plate because we did it in practice brian actually had a half minute group with my rifle at two miles um and brian and mitch and Derek all hit within three three tries at two miles on a 36 inch plate so we knew that we could do it the biggest factor in what we learned was spotting you know we just couldn't simply it was hard to see those spots with the with the scopes it was hard to see so when I went to the rifle scope, you know, I could see a lot better. So we utilized that, that strategy in the last um, final match. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that if we practice more and learn how to spot better with what optics we need to see those spots, that's the biggest limiting factor right now. Um, last year in 2016, there was no doubt in my mind that Mitch could have hit the two-mile plate easily. We just couldn't see it. So that's a big problem right now in ELR is being able to see the spots and this year we're gonna we're gonna practice that and we're gonna figure out what's gonna work better, but um, just just let people know, you know, Brian and Mitch and myself. I mean, in practice we were hammering the two mile plate. Um, just in this just in this event though, we we, we just we lacked uh, the tool, and so you know, learning what we learned at King of Two Mile this year, you know, we're gonna we're gonna practice that and be better next year. You mentioned the scope, uh, Derek. Were you shooting the seven by thirty five ATAC R? The same scope that Paul was using. I think the majority of the team was using that scope, which has really proved to, to have enough elevation to get us on most of the targets. Uh, yep. Yeah, and I wanted to, to bring that up. My hat's off to Night Force. Uh, they actually saw what was needed, um, you know, the... The five and a half or the the five by twenty five uh, ATAC R thirty four millimeter tube, uh, I think had eighty minutes of elevation and uh, a great scope. But they they saw that it really wasn't going to be sufficient for the extended long range, extreme long range stuff. So they came out with a scope that really made a difference. I know that it says that it's a hundred minutes elevation, but everybody that that tested I've heard is getting around one hundred and ten, one hundred and eleven, somewhere around there. So it's actually even more. More than that, is that you have the same experience? I my scope, I think, is right about 128 or nine minutes of internal wow. adjustment. So that coupled with a 50 MOA rail, I think I I have around 14 minutes of wasted bottom um, adjustment on the turret. And had I known where my zero would be, I would have probably got a 60 minute base where I could have maximized my internal scope adjustment. But even still. I was able to come up to over 110 minutes of elevation and use the 40-minute 40, 40 hash mark on the scope because it is a front focal plane. Now, the downside to that is you have to turn the power down far enough to see the vertical crosshair in the scope. So when I shot the two-mile target, I was on 10 power. 
So, you know, now Paul, Paul's rifle shoots a lot flatter. So I think, Paul, can you reach the two-mile plate without any uh, hold, hold off on the reticle? Yeah, I have a the 375 lethal mag. That's what Mitch designed and won last year with. It shoots uh, the 400 grain cutting edge bullet at around 3250 to 3300 feet per second. I only need about 125 minutes of angle uh, to reach the the two mile plate, and um, I have about 135 minutes of angle in my scope tube available. So a little bit more than what's advertised for night force, but it makes it a little easier when you don't have to hold reticles and reduce magnification. So I may have misspoke. Do they advertise 100 minutes on that scope? They do, Kelly. They, oh. they advertise 100, but um, a lot of scopes are a lot more than that. They're, I think that Sean told me one time that they're just erring on the side of caution. They don't want to misrepresent anything. So they're all of 100 and much more. Well, once again, I want to I want to take my hat off to Night Force for seeing what was needed in this specific sport and uh, working so hard to get some stuff out there that really is going to make it possible to extend the the ranges that that we're trying to shoot. And one of the things that that the ELR brings out is new technology, um, as well as new process. Um, I saw some really neat stuff out there, and some of the guys used it, knowing that you know that might affect their ability to win. But everybody was really out there just to test new things. That obviously all this technology could be used downrange for our boys when when they're out there protecting us. Um, one of the things I noticed was a prism. Um, Paul, did you have a chance to check that out? To yeah, so Walter Wilkinson was in third. He used the prism on his 50, and he did really well with it. Um, I know that um, also our fellow AB team member, Mitch Fitzpatrick, used the prism in practice and was shooting a target out to 4,000 yards. So these types of innovations and, and technology are mainstream in our industry right now. You know, the prism, um, you know, the, the, the Garmin tool, applied ballistics are heavily involved in all this, the ballistics, and the ability to put these... You know, bullets on target at extreme ranges. I mean, it's 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 growing fast and it's being it's very successful. Um, I can't wait to see what it, what comes out um, in the future. But yeah, right now we have these tools coming out and and they're showing to be very effective. Yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to my brother and his new company, JJ Rock. They've des- designed a new action that. Uh, uh, they brought out to the match, and uh, it, it looks really beefy, and it looks like something that uh, guys building these uh, rifles with, you know, 38-inch barrels are going to need something to to hang on to. I think I think it's going to be a really good project. That's JJ Rock, and you can probably hear a lot of talk about that on social media. Yeah, Kelly. I, one more company. I I, I don't want to leave this guy out. He came in last minute. He kind of saved us, actually. Um, we we were. Wanting a bullet that was standard, and um, Dan Schmidtko from Cutting Edge Bullets came in and sponsored our team. And uh, I, I tell you what, boy, if it wasn't for him, we we probably we would have done well. But I mean, the fact that all of our teammates shooting the big 375s were using the, the 400 grain laser, we all had the same bullet and the trajectory and the wind drift. So that really helped us out a lot. And our standard deviations and our um, ballistics were spot on. I mean, that, that's a great bullet. So just shout out to Dan Schmidtko with Cutting Edge Bullets. Uh, he really helped us out a lot and sponsored our team, and, and we all were doing very well with this bullet. Hey, thanks, guys, for being on the show. Really appreciate uh, having you here. I want to uh, 
let our listeners know that uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll be here next Friday on Voice America Sports Channel for another exciting episode of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks again, and have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.